Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. So once again, uh, welcome. Uh, again, my name is Bobby. I am one of the pastors here, and I get to bring the message this morning. And we are in week five, I believe, of our summer sermon series, Book Club. And during the summer, we usually like to, to do this. We like to you know, focus on you know, maybe some film or some sort of other outside thing in our culture and look at those things and see how we can glean um, some biblical truths and principles from those topics. And uh, this year, right, we have chosen books. Now, I have to make an admission um, when it comes to this series. So I am not a big fiction reader. I just, I don't read a lot of fiction. Um, To tell you the truth, it just kind of bores me a bit, and it kind of just, I don't know, it puts me (laughs) to sleep in a sense. And it's not that I don't love fiction. I I love fiction. I love um, movies and, and all that stuff. And it's not that I don't enjoy reading. I just find when I'm reading fiction, I just start to, to doze off. A couple years ago, um, I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to read through the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy because I haven't done that since high school and I love the films. And it took me two years. Like, it took me two years. And, and like, and that was like almost the only thing I was reading, right? So it was just this completely slow pace. And, you know, I'm reading these things. And when I get into like two, three pages where it's just descriptions about trees and rivers and stuff, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like when are we going to get to the story here? And I know, I know, for you guys that like fiction, like that's the whole point, right? The whole point is to like spark your imagination and think about these lands and these realms that are created. But unfortunately, it's just not me. I wind up, I wind up dozing off. But, okay, that being said, give me a good nonfiction book, okay? Give me something that grips me in the first few pages, okay? Give me something that tells me something about myself or life or something I didn't know. Give me a little something that, like, blows my hair back, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? And then I'm, I'm off to the races, okay? Then I will tear through that thing very, very quickly. But before we get into my book choice, okay, for this sermon... And this is actually a two-part series, okay? It's going to be this week and next week. But before we get into that book choice, I want to ask you a question. As believers, if you've put your faith in Jesus, how excited are you about going to heaven one day? Are you excited about that? Are you? Yeah, okay. Really? I mean, I mean like, why? Right? Like, why... Why are you excited to to go to heaven? Um, I mean, just stop, like, and think, just think about it for a second. Like, all the imagery you have in your head, like, about heaven and what it's going to be like or what you've seen or been taught or what's kind of been, you know, filtered to you. And, um, you know, it always seems like this cloudy, sunny, you know, very blue place. Okay, you know, nice atmosphere. Um, Everyone's in white robes. Fashion kind of sucks, you know? Mm. Um, you guys a big fan of harp music? No? no? Nobody? Okay, not just me. So, you know, the, the thing is, like, these are the, this is the image that we kind of have as, as heaven, in, of heaven, even as believers. And um, I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up around this stuff. And I was never, ever, as a teenager, I was never enamored with the idea of heaven. I never really was. I mean, it sounded okay, you know, like... Um, I knew it was better than the alternative, right? <laughs> like, I didn't, I don't want to burn forever. That doesn't sound like a great thing, you know? So, yeah, I guess, I guess heaven is going to be okay. But, like, 
like, are we really, really going to sit like in a worship service like for eternity? And like, don't get me wrong, like I love this, right? I love what we do, but like I don't, I don't want to do this nonstop forever, right? I, I don't. There has to be, there has to be more to this whole idea of heaven. So over the next two Sundays, we're going to be digging into what heaven is really like. And my hope is, okay, my hope for this sermon series is that you will get excited, okay? You will get excited about not only where we're going, okay, but also kind of where we started and where we are because it's, it's all this continuous timeline. So this week, you know, we're, we're going to, to start at the beginning. And to do so, and to go through this material, I'm be using a book called Garden City by John Mark Homer. I think we have a, a picture image of the the book right there, okay? So this is Garden City by John Mark Homer. Um, so I know in this series, right, we get to kind of extrapolate biblical truths. I have the advantage of this being a Christian book, so I really don't have to, you know, figure out what it's saying. It pretty much speaks for itself. But this is written by John Mark Homer, uh, who was a pastor of a large church in Portland, Oregon for years. He's no longer a pastor. He spends most of his time reading, uh, I'm sorry, writing and speaking. And if you get a chance to read this or any of his work, I strongly uh, recommend it. He really puts a, a good perspective on things when it comes to what this walk of Christianity is really all about. So, that being said, as the saying goes, to know where we're going, okay, to know where we're ultimately going, we need to know where we started. I'm pretty sure that's a common saying. Somebody said that somewhere. And to start, we need to ask a basic question, a question we all ask ourselves, or a series of questions. Why do we exist? What is our purpose? What is the meaning of our lives? Is there any whatsoever? And every religion and every form of spirituality attempts to answer that question in some way. Because, you know, as soon as we kind of become cognizant of who we are and we start to have questions, all of us in the back of our mind ask that, right? What is, like, what is the point to all of this? What is my purpose? What is my meaning in life? Right? We all ask ourselves those questions. And in the church, if you were to ask a Christian, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? And you might get some very spiritual sounding answer like, the purpose of man is to glorify God. Yeah, awesome, great. I'm not going to disagree with that. There's, I mean, that's, you know, that is true. But Scripture opens up with a much different kind of answer. And as I said, we're going to start in the beginning, so we're going to start with Genesis, and I hope we're able to shed some new light on this creation story and what it was all about. Genesis 1.26 says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You've heard this verse. But there it is, staring us right in the face in the very beginning of Genesis. Our meaning, our purpose. God created us so that they may rule. You and I were created to rule over the earth. That is our meaning, that is our purpose, and that is why we exist. And now I know, okay, this language 
of ruling is very strange to us, okay? Especially in our culture, this, this idea of ruling. But I will tell you, <laughs> ruling looks a lot like what we would call work. I know, oh, right, really, work? And I doubt the last time your boss came into your cubicle and asked you what you were doing, you're like, oh, I'm just ruling over this spreadsheet. Just lording over my desk, ruling these orders out the door, right? Or whatever it is you do. No, it's, you know, we, we think in these terms that, that work isn't about ruling. It can't possibly be about ruling. But unfortunately in our culture, this idea of the American dream, we work to live. That's kind of how things are set up. And, and it started as this good idea, right? It started as a good idea that everyone, you know, should have a, an equal opportunity to lead a happy life. But, you know, over time, it's kind of devolved into, let me make as much money as possible in the most, the littlest amount of time as possible with the littlest effort of, as possible just so I can go do something else with my life, right? Like, this is, this is how we see things in America and in our culture, and that is a miserable, miserable way to live. It's a miserable existence, and if I'm honest with you and I'm completely transparent, that's how I live my life. I work to live. I, d- I get no joy out of my job. Oh, and by the way, I should mention, I didn't mention this in the first, like, this isn't what I do for a living. I actually have another full-time job. So don't, like, don't get it wrong. Like, I'm not up here like, oh, I hate this. This is so miserable. Um, I have another job, okay? <laughs> I didn't clarify that in the first service, and any new people are probably like, what is, you know, what's this guy doing up here? <laughs> right, so... <laughs> I'm in that, okay? I'm in that with you, and I don't have a lot of answers for that. I have as many questions as you do. And I will say, um, if you do pick up this book, I'm not going to be able to touch on everything, but he does touch a lot on work and questioning your work and what it is that we put our hands to and are there changes we can make. And I will also say that, as a friend pointed out to me when I was talking about this sermon, that is also a very privileged question, okay? In this country, we get to ask that question, um, or many of you, maybe you don't even get to ask that question because like you're just happy you have a job or you're looking for a job that isn't lost on me but if you're interested okay there are some some questions and a way to wrestle with it where they they lay that out and I would also say that work is not just about what you do for a career okay work is everything right work is everything else cooking cleaning you know doing the laundry running errands raising kids like all of that is work it encompasses all of our lives And then I would also say, to clear things up, okay, um, and I use this myself a lot, you know, thorns and thistles, right? God cursed everything. This is why it's such a problem. Work was never cursed. (laughs) The ground was cursed because of Adam and Eve, okay? The, The way we get things out of the ground, the way we labor, that was cursed. But work in itself was not cursed. Work is actually a good thing. And here's the fact of the matter. Okay, the vision set forth in Genesis, we don't work to live. We actually live to work. It says that we were created to rule to actually make something of God's world. And I, when I think of, you know, work and 
you know, in, in light of spirituality, sometimes you might think in your head like, oh, you know, I have, to, I have to do something like spiritual for the kingdom of God, right? I have to serve in my church or be on a worship team or, you know, do ministry or, or something like that. And that's, that can't be further from the truth, okay? God created us all with different desires and things inside us to do different things. And they don't have to be these big, grandiose tasks. Um, my wife, every so often, she'll start a show that, um, most of the time I find boring and I just don't watch, but every once in a while I will like, she'll watch something I get hooked in. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it and I forget what it's called, but it's uh, Stanley Tucci, the actor, and he kind of goes throughout all of Italy. Like he hits all of Italy and he tastes all the food from the region and gets into the culture and where they get the food from and tastes the wine. And it's, it's really kind of, it, it sucks you in, right, to what's going on there. And what I noticed about so many of these people, like some of them just get up every day and make pasta by hand. That's all they do, all day, every day. And they are happier than anyone else I've ever seen on the planet. Like it's their whole purpose, like just to create good food and serve it to people and they have such joy in it. Like just watching people eat what they created and this is their whole existence and they are completely fine with that. So Genesis, okay, where we are starting and I'm not gonna read through every single verse of Genesis. You know a lot of this stuff but I'm gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase some of it here, okay? But the very first words in the Bible, right, are in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now this term, heavens and the earth, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, this is, um, this is an idiom in Hebrew, okay? What I mean is when they say heavens and the earth, they really mean something else. If, if, if um, in our culture, in our, our language, we might say something like from top to bottom, okay? Like that was, they'd say, oh, from heaven to earth, top to bottom. It means everything, right? So the, the verse actually means in the beginning, God created everything, Everything God created. And it goes on. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. This is just another way of saying like it was barren. Okay, there was this world. There was this, this, this place that God created, but it was desolate. It was kind of just void. It was like this alien wasteland that existed. And then we read, for six days, God is hard at work, forming and filling the earth. And at the end of the week, we read, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. So this is God sitting back after six days of work, looking at his creation and looking over everything he built and just saying, you know what? Not too shabby. Like, this is, this is pretty good. And I would, I would say it's, it's much like the feeling you get, like when you're good at something and you put your hands to it and you're working at it, and then there's like a finished product or an end result or something you can look at, and you're just like, Oh, like you just take so much joy in feeling like accomplished and being done or, or something that you've made. This is what, what God is doing here. And then it says, on the seventh day, God rested. Which, by the way, doesn't mean God was tired. Okay, God was not tired. He was not worn out. Okay, he, he wasn't like, oh, I need to be done with this. I just need to take a nap. This was literally God just taking a break and taking in all he created and enjoying the actual fruits of his labor. So in all this, okay, from the beginning and the end of Genesis chapter 1 that talks about what God did, not only do we see what's done, but we get to see who God is, okay? We have a, we have a good picture of who God is. God is an artist. He's a de designer. He's creative. He's an engineer. He's a builder, a musician, a poet, a king, a shepherd. But above all else, okay, above all else, God is a worker and a vigorous worker at that as we can see in the scriptures. Now, it's important to note 
Genesis was not written into a vacuum, okay? Um, And although we don't know exactly when or where Genesis was written, we do know that it was written a long, long time ago in the ancient Near East, okay? And when I say it wasn't written into a vacuum, right, it was written into a time. It was written into a people. So there were dozens, dozens of other creation stories that existed at the same time as Genesis, okay? But they were much, much different to the Genesis creation story, okay? All these other stories have a common thread and the same basic idea. The gods are tired, they're worn out. Work is a burden for them. Work is beneath them. They create humanity as this cheap slave labor to offload their work and to serve them. And many of you are very familiar with this concept because you have bosses that think they are ancient gods, right? You know what I'm talking about. I've had some. So Genesis is shocking by comparison to those other creation stories. Because God doesn't hate work. He actually enjoys it. Instead of creating people to offload his work, he invites people into that work. But it begins with God himself working to make a world for people, a world for us, a place to experience and enjoy his presence. We aren't made as slaves to do his bidding in this creation story. We are made... As partners, as co-creators with God. Stay with me. God said, let us make man in our image, okay? And we've heard that a million times. As Christians, if you've, you know, been around, uh, you heard, oh, we're created in the image of God. And the image of God, you know, he, he created us. And we're very familiar with that. But what does that, what does that really mean? What does it really mean to be created in the image of God? Remember, like we said, Scripture wasn't written into a vacuum. It was written into a time and a place. And this term, okay, this phrase, Salem Elohim, as it's written in the Hebrew in the Scripture, this idea, this image of God was used all over the Near East. It wasn't just used in the, in the Hebrew Bible. Image of God was a very, very common thing. If you know anything about ancient history or um, specifically like, let's say, ancient Egyptian history, the Pharaoh, okay, Pharaoh was called Amun Re, Amun, which means image of Re, image of Re, the sun god. The Pharaoh was the image of God. And it didn't, it permeated far beyond just ancient Egypt. Every ancient culture, the king, the ruler, the queens, the oligarchy, all these people were referred to as the image of God. So now when you take the account of Genesis and that language that is used, it's stunning in comparison. It's stunning in comparison because this language that's used for rulers It claims that all human beings, not just the royal blood, the oligarchy of society, all of us, not just the Kardashians, right? Everybody, everybody was made in the image of God. That's democracy. That is true, true democracy. We are all kings and queens, and the earth is our kingdom. That's why in the very next sentence, The scripture says, so that they may rule, rule, reign, have dominion. This is the language of royalty. This is the language of kings that God, that the scripture is applying to us. 
From the beginning of this story, God has been looking for partners, God's representatives ruling over this world and creating with him. Think about it for a second. God could have just continued to make people out of the dust. Why didn't he, right? He made Adam out of the dust. He could have just just continued, right? He made Eve. He could just continue making people. But he didn't choose to do that. He chose to work through us to create other people, through family, through marriage, right? So he wanted us to be a part of this. He could, have, he could have made food just fall from the sky all day long. It could have just rained food like it did in Exodus with the manna. But no, he chose farming. He chose agriculture. He could have put Adam and Eve into a city that he built. He could have built a city and placed them in that. But no, he said, he said go, have a shot at this. Take a crack at building civilization, at creating something. Then we see in Genesis that humans are commanded to fill the earth and subdue it. In this context, subdue means like take something wild and tame it, okay? Take something that is, that is just like unruly and make order out of it. Bring harmony out of discord, okay? That's what this term subdue means. And, and in scripture... So many times we just, we read things because we're just trying to get through it and it's, you know, it doesn't seem very important, but there's, scripture is so dense and there are things I've read a hundred times and I say this a lot, but then, then there's like some angle that you look at it or see it in a different way and this isn't mine, actually John Mark Homer pointed this out and I, and I think it's, it's amazing. So j- just hang with me a second, Genesis chapter 2 verses 10 through 14, it says this, A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. Now there's this parenthetical statement. It's a statement in parentheses. It says, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. So just like... Do you ever like stop for a second and say like, why is that there? So you look at this statement in parentheses and it's like, okay, like, hey, there's this land, there's gold and there's, there's aromatic resin and, and onyx in there. Like, why is, why is that in there? And then when you, you start to think about it, like, why do we need to know this? Like, here's what God's saying. God's like, hey, Adam, Eve, I, I put gold in the ground. I put this stuff, this resin, onyx, like go get it out. Go get it out of the ground. You have a forest. Make it work for you. You have rivers. Make them work for you. You have a sun, wind, soil. You have all this stuff that I put here. Get to work. Start creating. Build culture. Build civilization. And we have this image. We have this wrong image in our head of the Garden of Eden. Right? We think that, oh, you know, in the garden before Adam fell, it's like Adam and Eve were there and God was there. And, you know, they just all day long, they took cool walks in the garden and they took naps and they're just like sipping Mai Tais all day, hanging out. Like, I mean, that sounds great, but like, I mean, how long can you possibly do that for? Maybe don't answer that question right now, but... but you know what I'm saying, right? Like eventually, you know, you eat enough lobster, eventually it tastes like soap, right? You can't just, you, we weren't built to just kind of relax forever. And that wasn't the reason 
that God created us. He created us because he wanted partners. He wanted co-creators. As believers, we were always meant to build the culture, not just be swept away by it. We were supposed to form it, to build it. And God did this, and that was a very, very dangerous game for God to play. Was it not? Because there are good kings and there are bad kings. There are leaders and rulers under which civilization thrives and progresses. And there are rulers and leaders who mark the time by oppression and injustice. And in Genesis, we see both of these things. We see the first city built. We see technology invented. People write music. They come up with the arts. They raise livestock. Noah is the first person to plant a vineyard. God bless him for it. But Noah also gets drunk on that vineyard, and we know what happens next. Later on in Genesis, a man named Lamech comes up with the idea of polygamy. And above all else, we see violence, right? Cain murders his brother Abel. We have this great capacity for good and also this great capacity for destruction. We're responsible for art, science, medicine, novels, photography, sushi. Come on, right? But we're also responsible for slavery and racism, the Holocaust, Hiroshima, pornography, financial collapse. The list goes on and on and on. After the fall, as humans, we just kind of became this mixed bag. We have a great capacity to rule in a way that is life-giving to everybody around us and also a capacity to suck the life and destroy everything around us based on how we rule. This was the risk that God took. And it's why Jesus came in human form. Think about that for a second, how strange it was. For thousands of years, God appeared to man as an audible voice, a cloud, as fire. But then he comes as human. Why? Because God never gave up on that dream. He never gave up on the dream of the garden. He never gave up on that original tension for Adam and Eve. In Corinthians, the apostle Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam. This is how he refers to Jesus. Adam was entrusted with ruling the world, but he was just a sign. He was just a sign that was going to point to Jesus, who's going to be the last Adam, who would come and rule forever. This is starting to look like where we're heading. And in Romans, Chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, of the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So because of Adam's disobedience, we all die. We all get to die. But because of the obedience of Jesus, we all get to live. And then Paul takes it up a notch. He takes it up one level. Not only do we get to live, okay, but it says we get to reign in life. There it is again, that language, that language of ruling, of kings and queens. Adam had the first crack at it. He failed. Later on, Abraham and his family were called. They failed. Then ruler after ruler, if you read First and Second Kings, all of them, okay, who were supposed to do what Adam was called to do, they fail, often miserably. 
And it's not just them, it's us too. I fail, you fail, our cultures have failed, our systems have failed. But where they all failed, Jesus didn't. He did what we were all supposed to do, but couldn't. And that's why after his resurrection, he's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And what is the first thing that Jesus does once he's resurrected from the dead and is given this rule? He shares it with us. He shares that rule and that kingdom with us. So I hope I've got you a little excited about where we're heading because next week we're going to talk about what heaven is really like. And it's not some ethereal plane. It's not some ethereal plane where we're going to float around and just sing songs all day. We are coming back to a physical place. We are coming back to another earth, a new earth, and we are going to do an awful lot of things. And that should sound exciting to you because at the top of all that is Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when you read that, King of kings, right? King of kings, King of queens. You, me, we were all meant to be kings and queens ruling this earth under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you guys pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for today, God. Just thank you for for Sunday, God. Thank you that we get to come and start our week hearing from you, Lord. Lord, I... When I think about it, Jesus, like, I am just so blown away that you created us to partner with you. You didn't create us just to to be these beings that are in this, like, slavery sort of servitude. You actually made us to help you create, Lord. You want us to help build culture, Lord. So I pray for each and every one of us that... That even now, even here, we would start to think about our lives and everything we put our hands to day in, day out, and that we would go out and affect the culture like we were intended to be, Lord. That we would be life-giving people to this world around us. Jesus, we love you, and in your name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.